Hello, everybody, and welcome to the week three edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for joining me. I know these are tough times for Jets fans, so I do appreciate it. Hopefully, you will learn a lot from this episode, especially in the second quarter. Our guest is Cynthia Freeland, the data science expert for the NFL Network, and I know she will bring the knowledge on the Jets and what exactly is going wrong. And, you know, they did it again. Just when you thought the Jets couldn't get any worse, they did. 31-13 to loss to the San Francisco JV team because the Niners were down at least six, I think maybe seven frontline players by halftime, including Garoppolo and Bosa. They barely tapped the brakes the rest of the way. If my commute to Florham Park went like that, that's stress-free, I'd certainly have a few less gray hairs on my head. Look, we we could go in a few different directions here, but I'm going to focus on this. Preparation, or lack thereof. The inability to compete early in games. For the second week in a row, the Jets were down 21-3 at halftime. This is the NFL. That should not happen. There's enough talent spread throughout this league where the games should at least be competitive into the second half. And then, you know, the haves usually pull away from the have-nots. You know, I think the, I think Jet fans would actually appreciate a scrappy team that hangs around to the second half, maybe loses in the end, but at least hang around. The Jets were done in 17 seconds. Raheem Mostert's 80-yard touchdown run, by the way, the first time in Jets history that they gave up a touchdown that long on the first play of the game, cooked them. They were done after that. You could just tell that game was over after 17 seconds. So the first two weeks of the season, the Jets have been outscored 42-6 to at halftime. Let me throw some knowledge here at you. Did some research, folks. That, of course, that minus 36 differential is the worst in the league. That goes without saying. It's also the worst for a Jet team after two weeks since the 96 Jets. You don't want to be compared to the 96 Jets, the Rich Kotite Jets. They went 1-15 that year. And after two weeks, their uh, point differential at halftime was minus 38. Now, check this one out. The Jets minus 36. It's only the eighth time in the league since 2000 that a team has been minus 36 or worse at halftime of the first two games. None of those previous seven, actually one of those previous seven, finished with more than six wins. It was the 05 Minnesota Vikings under Mike Tice. They actually somehow finished nine and seven. So it's a pretty much a death sentence where the Jets are right now. Now, look, this tells me one thing. When you start games like that, that goes on coaching because your team is physically and mentally ill-prepared to play the game. There's no two ways about it. Now, I look, this is not all Adam Gase's fault, and I know that's not going to be a popular opinion. The Jets have a bottom-five roster in terms of talent. So this isn't all on Adam Gase. I mean, when he gets fired, which I think will happen eventually at some point, maybe during the season or after, you know, it's not going to solve the problem. But Granted, it is the head coach's job to get his team ready. They have not been ready. They should be more competitive despite the lack of talent, and they aren't. Now, can Gase turn it around? I, I sincerely doubt it. You know, they play um, Indy this week on the road. 
Then they have a Thursday nighter against Denver. Denver looks like a mess. They actually look like last year's Jets because they're 0-2, and now they're down to their backup quarterback, Jeff Driscoll. They've also lost Von Miller. If they're 0-4, the Jets, coming off a Thursday night home loss to Denver and a backup quarterback, the Jets, that mini buy is going to be rough for Gase. Uh, you don't, that's just bad. And, you know, week five, they start to get some players back. You know, Le'Veon Bell, Denzel Mims, back for the Arizona home game. You know, Chance Crowder returns this week. I'm still a little skeptical on that. You know, so maybe Darnold gets some of his weapons back by week five. Right now, his, you know, he looks like a quarterback who's playing with one hand tied behind his back. He just has nowhere to go with the football. Uh, now, will all this return of quote-unquote talent make a difference? Probably not a whole lot because, but I'm still curious to see how the offense can function the way it was constructed in the offseason, the way the blueprint was designed. I still think they're going to have trouble, and I think it's laughable that Denzel Mims has almost been portrayed as the savior. People, he's a second-round pick. He hasn't played it down in the NFL. He's had one practice, one practice. He's not going to come in and change the fortunes of an entire offense. Now, LaMichael Ryan, the running back, I would like to see him have a bigger role starting this week. They need some explosion in the backfield. Now, he had two carries on Sunday where you saw some giddy-up out of him. Put him out there. I would start to de-emphasize Frank Gore. Let the kid run. I mean, look at Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. He had 101 yards rushing last week. You know, he's kind of energized that Indianapolis offense. Give P. Ryan a chance. Give him some energy to the offense. Right now, they have no breakaway threats. I think he should get more touches for sure. Now, are the Jets going to beat Indy? No, I mean, Indy's defense is pretty good. I mean, they gave uh, Kirk Cousins fits last week. He actually had a Blutarski rating into the second half of that game. He had three picks. They have DeForest Buckner, who is going to be a nightmare for the Jets, especially with Connor McGovern not likely to play. So I do not expect the Jets to win this game, but at least show up. I mean, the Colts, we're not talking about the Peyton Manning Colts here. At least show up. At least be respectable. I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. It's Cynthia Freeland, the NFL Network analytics expert. She's been doing this for a while. She's actually a pioneer in the industry, a fast-growing industry. So, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you so much for having me. It's always funny when people say analytics expert because, like, I only got the title bump when I went from ESPN to NFL Network because it was so hard to say analytics analyst. It's like a tongue twister. So it's really just an analyst, but we had to go with expert because it was easier to say. Well, I think you're an expert for sure. I mean, you, you definitely you. know your stuff, and I, and I think our listeners are going to definitely learn more about the Jets and so forth. let's just talk about the industry in general. I mean, you've been doing this for a while, a few years. How much has it grown, specifically to the NFL? You know, it's grown, I would say, since Paul D. Podesta became the, I believe his title was Chief Strategy Officer at the Browns. And the word analytics, like really because of the Moneyball movie and all of the different things that kind of happened at once. I think that was really kind of when the awakening to analytics happened. And that was in 2015. So it's really in the past five years, just 
really exploded in terms of calling things analytics and labeling them as such. It's been done for a while, but the technology improvements, especially, you know, you see like you hear about the next gen stats and I know you're a user of them. So you get to see the tracking and that has really been game changing because it's allowed us to have just this whole new library of reference points to help tell stories and understand and really dig deeper into this complicated thing with 22 moving pieces at any particular moment. It's funny. I was, you know, we were talking to Sam Darnold after Sunday's game against uh, the 49ers and, you know, the Jets had a fourth and one play or actually they they were down 24, three and they end up going for a field goal instead of trying to, you know, score a touchdown. And so Sam in the post game interview mentioned something. He goes, I'm going to have to talk to our analytics people later on just to, to see about the probability situation. That's the first time I ever heard a player like refer to their analytics people in a conversation. I have missed that, but I need to like go back and see that and like tweet that everywhere. Cause that's amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I actually, the funny part is it's like, it's kind of like fight club, right? First rule of analytics. Don't, uh, don't say you ever talk about analytics, right? Like the person with the first analytics person was Bill Belichick with Ernie Adams. You just didn't call him that. Right. And then now you're hearing players. I, I kid you not when players are looking for, contract help they or their agents will help call me will call me and ask me for help characterizing their play you know using deeper data or to kind of get information on how is the team viewing me from an advanced numbers standpoint so you know the the players are pretty aware of it they you know they use it kind of just like sometimes people use statistics like to help tell their story hopefully it goes on the the right side of what they're trying to tell right trying to convince but you know it's it's a it's a really interesting thing and 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 it's very cool to now the comfort level teams have asking me you know stats questions or you know it's it's not really stats right it's contextualized stats so it's it's like you know what's what's wrong with our run defense on first down or you know what are you seeing What what are the numbers where should I go look what direction should I go and it's been really cool to see that well, let's talk about the Jets. Now, you predicted – I saw your preseason win projections. You had the Jets at 6.6 wins, and you said their ceiling was 7.9 and their floor was 6.1. So here we are in week three. They're 0-2, and I'm going to ask you, would you like to revise your projections at all, or what do you think? Well, in fairness, this start has not been an easy one. Um, you know, the, just I know that the San Francisco 49ers came in extremely banged up. I mean, they were already without – George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Richard Sherman, even prior to the game. But injuries play such a huge factor in this one. So, you know, this was not an easy start. When you're looking at the schedule ahead of time, the Bills this season with everything that they're putting out on the field and the Niners back-to-back, these are two bruising defenses for an O-line that has been revamped and added to. By the way, Mekhi Becton has looked nasty. He's really – he has impressed me beyond – what I thought I would be impressed because he played more of an athletic style at Louisville and not traditional pass snaps, pass reps. So he is just super impressed, but you know, you didn't know what you were going to get, especially from a rookie with no preseason. And this O-line is such a key factor in, in terms of success. So, you know, I've been impressed with that, but it, it, again, these were not games that I had them slated to win. They had low probabilities of winning both of these games. So I'm still on that six to seven win range. I think you'll see an up, obviously, wide receiver health is going to really determine what's going on in that situation and stay with the running back position. Although Frank Gore, the ageless wonder has been excellent. 
So I'm wondering, so in New York, Adam Gase is getting a massive amount of heat um, for the way the offense has performed, essentially not only for these two games, but last year they also finished last in total yards. And I know Adam is a uh, Michigan, a fellow Michigan native. You know, uh, you know, you were born in Michigan. I think Adam was born not far away. Um, what do you think? What can you tell me about, like, you know, analytics-wise, about his offense? You know, trends, things the fans should know, other than the obvious. You know, they're not scoring points. Yeah. Well, the first thing that people should know, and and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way at all, but it is easier to win when you have more of the good players just in general. So right. between, between opt-outs and wide receiver health and, I mean, how many wide receivers did they dress? Four? You know, like, th- that's, a, that's difficult, right? Yeah. Like, there are the, – the Arizona Cardinals, by the way, they often play with five wide receivers on the field. The Jets couldn't even do that if they wanted to necessarily, right? right? So, the, you know, the, it's easier to play when you have, again, the, more of the good players – and this is a rebuilding situation. There's some cap constraints from previous situations. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that's at play here. And the offense has the potential. I mean, look, if you look, even if go back, going back to week one, the first the scripted parts of the game, so those first 18 to 20 plays on offense, that's what a coach predetermines prior to game starting. So if you go back to look at what the scripted plays were in both games, I mean, they were a victim of some drops. They were a victim of, you know, some interesting routes that were not executed the way that necessarily probably was drawn out. I mean, I don't have the playbook, so I can't tell you for sure, but, you know, running into three defenders is probably not what the the, the play script was. So the, it's probably a, a function of, you know, they need to, there's a, they're pretty young. They've got a number of, a number of people on their team that don't have quite the experience, the experience that you would imagine. And, some have been in, in New York is a, is a difficult place to succeed, right? There's a lot more scrutiny than other organizations, other cities. And when you look to see like Brashad Perriman was a first round pick for a different team, obviously, and he's looking to make a, a, a leap, right? And Sam Darnold's looking to make a leap in his third season. This is the make or break year for whether or not you get paid the big bucks or you don't, right? So there's just a lot of pressure. And then Chris Herndon didn't play last season and you know, that's, that's tricky because Adam Gase offenses are often predicated on good tight end play. And then, you know, other than, and then Jamison Crowder being out this past week, that's a real blow because that's the guy who has kind of the reliable situation. I mean, you saw the difference in the second half from the Buffalo game, <laughs> Jamison Crowder was pretty much the difference maker. So, you know, be, between all of these factors, they're, they're not as far off as it looks. They started with two, again, very difficult defenses. But there, there are some flags for concern, but they're not as far off as it might seem based on, you know, media narratives. Yeah, what you, in your preseason prognostication, you seemed to, pretty high on Sam Darnold. I think you predicted him to have uh, at least 23 touchdown passes this year. The sense I get from most of the analytics people, like people like Bill Barnwell at, at my place at ESPN, they seem down on Sam's long-term future based on his first two seasons just saying that he's putting up numbers that usually don't project to long-term success. How do you feel about Sam? So I have a, I take a bit of a, so the thing about quarterbacks and by the way, quarterbacks are, you know, because they're the most valuable player in any sports, in any particular sports franchise, any type of sport ever, 
the way that we diagnose and anticipate for them, that is probably where you see the most variance amongst analytics experts that, you know, people who do their people who truly like Bill, Bill Barnwell is amazing. And he does a, such a great job of, he, he digs in, he probably takes a different approach than I do. We have different backgrounds and that's the best part, right? It's like my strategy, like we all have different, we all have different ways of calculating things. Right. And part of the way that I look at things is I ask coaches and people who are, I don't, I don't pretend to know anything about the quarterback position. I take the approach that I'm an alien trying to like learn how to, what, what is the quarterback supposed to do? And is he doing it well? Yes or no. Right. So, you know, I try to remove all the bias. And if you look to see where Sam excelled, even dating back to USC, you know, and the first season at the jets, I mean, first season at the jets, he was on his back all of the time and still managed to get that deep ball off the deep ball, the break open play. Those are really important in the NFL, those game changing, but not uh, many quarterbacks can throw short passes. If you make it to the NFL, you can probably throw a short pass, right? Like that's, that's kind of, you know, it just is right. There are only 32 starting quarterbacks every week at most. And you know, they, the short pass, but it's the, really the ability to, you know, make those deep passes. And one thing for Sam that really projects well is his off platform. So when he doesn't get his feet set, his arm strength doesn't diminish. He's still blazingly accurate and he's still able to get that ball to the intended location, even when he's off platform. So running for his life under pressure, right? So the, the if he had a little bit higher you know, I want to say the word quality, but consistency at the wide receiver position, especially on those, you know, nines, the, the deeper routes, the ones that take a little bit longer to develop. If he had a little more time and he had a little more consistency in pass catcher, I think that the longer term statistics on him would be great. He doesn't have great results shorter because let's, let's be honest, people have been running into traffic and they know the defenses can spy what's happening. And they've been able to really basically the functional equivalent of loading the box against a runner. They're loading the box against, you know, short passes in the middle. Yeah. He's had 16 different wide receivers since he came to the jets, you know, so it's been basically a revolving door because of injuries and ineffectiveness. But did you, I don't know if you saw the the 49er game on Sunday, his touchdown pass to Berrios was exactly what you were talking about. He was, he was scrambling to his left and somehow contorted his body to throw sort of an angle toward the middle of the field and hit Berrios in stride. Yep. You know, it was a pinpoint pass. It goes for a touchdown. I thought it was vintage Sam Darnold. Yeah, that, that's why I think he has those numbers that are a little deeper. That Like that pass in particular, like I, when I was watching that, and and by the way, and I and no, it, I, this is not in any way offensive to Braxton Berrios, but you know he's not he wasn't you know when on their original starting roster, right? right. Like this, this is, this is and and, I, and I'm not saying it offensively. I actually really like him. I think he's like he's one of my favorite players just to like watch for whatever reason. I cheer for him like mentally. I'm like yes, Braxton Berrios, I'm into yeah. him. But uh, but you know he's not he's not like you know he he, he wasn't a, a someone who they coveted really heavily ahead of the season. Right. So, you know, his ability to contribute and, and to show that he can execute those deep routes. And by the way, like that was a dime that Sam Darnold threw. It, it was a great, like, don't look at what happened ahead of the play, but look at just what the, where the ball went. You were, you're exactly right. Like those are the types of things that they do project the long-term success. You got to get it. Once Sam gets in rhythm, like when you saw him come back from mono last season and those last, you know, the end of the season, it was a lot different situation than, you know, what we're seeing right now. He needs to get in rhythm. He needs to feel it a little bit. You can see that there's something to be said for 
you know, being able to anticipate and have consistency and like. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Like you pointed out, those wide receivers, a number of different wide receivers is very key to all of this. Well, one thing you alluded to earlier, which I totally agree with, uh, um, Makai Becton looks like, I mean, the big ticket looks like a, a really big deal for the Jets. I mean, he's, he's been excellent so far. In, in analytics study, how hard is it to grade an offensive lineman? Because, you know, a lot of it's subjective. You know, we don't know what the play is, what his assignment is. So what do you think of Becton so far and how hard is it for you to, to assign grades, you know, in kind of a subjective area? So my, like when you go into like, um, you know, analytics school, it's, <laughs> that sounds silly when you say that, but yeah. I, I got, I got masters of predictive analytics. Right. And just like any other master's program, you have to like write a thesis and you have to do like a bigger project that kind of summarizes all of the things that you learn. Well, one of the things that I, you know, really focused on and then I cultivated even more after I left school was measuring O-line play because I one time sat at a combine and a very famous O-line coach named Russ Grimm, who was with the Titans at the time, but he's, you know, Washington Redskin when they were still the Redskins sure. and a long time. I mean, really just amazing. And he told me that there was nothing. He told me that there was nothing I could teach him that he didn't already know. So, well, what does that do? That just like, you know, spurs you on to want to create something. So I created like a waist bender metric and I, you know, I, I measured the bums and knees and heels and ankles of, of all of these and, and, and lower backs of all of these big old linemen. And, you know, one of the things that I got to do was learn how from, I, I asked a bunch of coaches and I watched a bunch of film. And when you start to notice certain trends, you can see things that are highly predictive and highly helpful. Like for example, in that first game against the Bills, if to the, to an untrained eye, and I'll say I'm trained in this because I've spent a lot of time working on tackles, but you know you could say that that Mackay Becton allowed a sack to occur, and and then you go back and you're like that wasn't his assignment, the shift and all the different things that were supposed to be happening. He actually picked up the guy he was supposed to be picking up. He only allowed one pressure total in that game, not and that sack wasn't his assignment. So. And then what you can do is you can go and you can like ask a coach and then they can like validate that you're right or not. Right. <laughs> so, so that's the, that's the best part. So when you see Mackay Becton's future, like this is, this is a very, that was a very smart draft pick, especially for kind of, if, if Sam Donald's your future, then you need more people that can understand and play like Mackay Becton. And by the way, he'll get, you know, the run game is blocking for the run game at the tackle position. When you come from a school like Louisville, it, it takes a minute or two. So he'll get even better and better and better as the season goes along. Yeah, he's been impressive so far. I'd, I'd be, I mean, a, a six, seven, 370 pound human being who can move like that. I'm sure in, in your analysis of offensive linemen, he's probably in the 99th percentile of size, speed, strength type of stuff. 
Oh, he's wonderful. And now he's not quite yet my favorite Jets O lineman because Debrick Shaw Ferguson will always be that. But you know, he's he's fun to watch. <laughs> well, if he has a good a, a career as Debrick Shaw, he'll be okay because you know what I mean. <laughs> Debrick Shaw went ten years without missing a play because of an injury. So I think the Jets would sign up for that in a second with <laughs> with Makai. Uh, so give, so the Jet fans are listening. You know, they're really depressed. The team's zero and two. Give them a – is there a positive trend or something uh, you could uh, extrapolate from these first two games, you know, to give them some hope about uh, maybe the offense getting better, maybe the defense getting better? What, what can you share? Yes. So, again, the start was kind of unreasonably hard. Like, some people get an easy cakewalk schedule and some people get one that's far more difficult, right? Like, this was a very difficult start. And, by the way, you know, the Colts, the Colts are – they seem really great, but remember, if you watched that game last week, Kirk Cousins threw three interceptions, and they, 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 they couldn't get it going on offense at all. The Colts are missing some pieces as well, and realistically speaking, like this should look a lot different for the Jets this week. I mean, they're missing – so the, the Colts are missing their starting safety, who's very good, named Malik Hooker. They have a bunch of cornerbacks who have been on and off the injury report. Rocky Sin, one of their corners, it, he, he was in the hospital, but he was maybe sick. It's very, it's very hard to know. Xavier Rhodes, whatever. Long story short, their O-line is really great, but they're really dependent on their run game. You know where the Jets are still really good? Stopping the run. So stopping the run in this game will force Philip Rivers to throw. Philip Rivers, when he throws too much, you know what happens there. I think Marcus May is going to be a huge difference maker in this game specifically against the Colts. I mean, obviously Marcus May is a difference maker in all of the games. He's just looked great. He's all over the field. Really impressive out of Marcus May. It's just going to be, it's just going to come down to the, to the, to the sheer fact of can there be a few, can, can they get into rhythm kind of early in the game and keep moving the sticks, right? Like you saw some, the, the, the scripted plays need to put the rhythm back into Sam Darnold on the offense to kind of get them going. I mean, they are missing pieces. The injury reports can be super interesting for the entire league this week. Right. But, but, but when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the jets, like you've got your most important pieces, they're there, right? Like your quarterbacks there, you got Marcus May there. Quinn Williams has looked good. I, I hope he's okay. You know, all of these different pieces. I, I think, I think this is going to look a lot different because this, Colts team is not as good as the two that you've already faced. Okay, so there is there is hope this week, and for sure, uh, yeah. And the culture banged up, the Jets are banged up. I think I think probably they won't have Brashad Perryman this week, and and uh, Jamison Crowder's a, a bit up in the air. I think there's maybe a fifty fifty chance that he comes. Give back. me more Blackson Barrios. I mean, for real. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he made some plays, and I saw him all summer in training camp, and he was the guy who every day you look down at, I kept stats during practice because I'm an idiot. and I'm an, No, I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive about it. And every day I'd, I'd count up the catches and Barrios would always have the most catches in practice or the second most. And, you know, he finally gets a chance. I'd like to see them find a way to keep him in the lineup, even when Crowder comes back, you know, even yeah. though they're both slot receivers, I think there should be a way to creatively find a way to get him back in. Well, Coach Gase does have a history of, keeping gadget players right if you look back to the Miami days we had like the Jakeem Grants and that like he had multiple players that were similar to that so I think if look I I think that that could be something that could stay on the roster you know I I think that some of the unsung heroes I mean the Trayvon Wesco's of this world who like they're they don't get their number called like on the big speaker as often but there's a there's been a lot of good promising blocking from 
you know, some people who you, you kind of didn't really, you don't really hear too much about. So I'm, 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 I have more faith than, you know, look, it's New York. It matters. It, it's a, it's the biggest, best city. I mean, I live in LA, so there's always like, which one's better, LA, New York? Well, I'm from Michigan, so I can say whichever one I want, right? But like, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, like it's, it, there's a lot of expectations in New York and, it, and that's what you sign up for, you know, like, and, it, and that's what makes it fun. Like, thank goodness people care. Like I'm so, you know, it, it's a good thing and it's not a good thing to suffer. I mean, I'm a Lions fan. Let me talk about suffering. So it's, it's ultimately one of those things where, you know, don't just, just give it a second to unfold a little bit here because that was a very hard start with no preseason and all of these injuries, but let's see what, let's use this game to see, okay, what do you got? What do you got for us? Coach Gase, you know? All right, so we'll, uh, Cynthia, so are you forecasting? I, I, I don't know if you've done your picks for the week yet. Are you forecasting a Jed victory this week? Can we get a little, like, early take? Is that what, or, or are you just more of a, a close game? So right now the game is not forecasted to be close. What is it, uh, a 10-point spread or something like 10 that? Ten and a half is what I'm yeah. seeing, which is that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty sizable difference. And yeah. while I just have – Look, the, all these injuries mean I'm going to keep running and running and running. So the way the simulations work, you just run them and run them. And every time you get an injury update, it's just going to be one of those weeks where all I'm doing is writing computer code, which is super nerdy, but also makes me happy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I have it much closer than that. So 10 and a half is ridiculous. And I think that if, if, you're, if you're smart, you, you bet on a closer... I mean, Indianapolis is at home, so they're, they're, there's no way it's going to switch to be the Jets' favorite at all. So, you know, just take the, take the smart situation and take the Jets with the points. <laughs> okay. All right, you heard that, Jet fans, right here. So, Cynthia is predicting a closer-than-expected game. So, this uh, one could be an upset. The, the, the Colts are not as – they're not as good as they looked against Minnesota. They're not as bad as they looked week one. The, the Colts are – they've got a strong O-line and a lot of question marks – you know, around, you know, other than, other than their run game, but Marlon Mack missing is a big deal. Right. All right. Great. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And I think there is no one better than you. I honestly, like people should really know, like you are the classiest class act. Like if I'm a New Yorker, I'm like, I want to be just like Rich Cimini when I grew up, he's amazing. And (laughs) I like, when we were coworkers, I admired your work. You know, obviously I, I, admired it before that too but i really saw you know like look when you work espn can be can be tricky just like anywhere else and you have just the grace and class and like you are the gold standard my friend thank you so much for having me oh my gosh i didn't expect that thank you it was very very kind of you to say very kind and i've, I've been a fan from afar going back to your espn days and of course now at the nfl network i'm always always checking in to see which you have to say i hear you on the radio in new york as well with anita marks so uh, you're, you're, <laughs> okay. we're, we're multi-platform people these days. <laughs> right. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Cynthia. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the rest of the season. You got it. Anytime. Time to open the Twitter mailbag. We set a record this week. We had over 400 responses to the uh, prompt on Twitter questions. And I can tell you, uh, not an exact number, but I think about 75% of them rever- uh, referred directly to Adam Gase, the desire to have him fired. When will he be fired? So I'm going to answer that in one you know, lump sum here. Uh, the Jets haven't fired a coach in season 
I believe, since the 1970s with Lou Holtz. So there's a historical uh, perspective on it. Uh, Christopher Johnson, I think he's got a lot of skin in this decision here. He's really invested in Gase. He's the one who hired him. He's the one who came out last week and called him a brilliant offensive mind. So I don't think Christopher is going to be quick to yank Gase, which essentially makes himself look like a dunce for for everything that he did for Gase. So I don't think he's going to be quick on the trigger. The other thing working in Gase's favor is there, there are no fans at the game. And I truly believe that is a factor because nothing drives an owner more uh, and prompts him to do irrational or irrational, in some cases, things than booing fans, fans not showing up. It has an effect. Believe me, it does, especially with this ownership. And there's no fans. So I think that works in Gase's favor. Um, now, does that mean he's safe for the entire year? Look, I got 30 years of covering this team. I go with my gut feeling a lot, and I, I think anything is on the table. Uh, somewhere around midseason, if they got some of their players back and they're still dysfunctional on offense, still getting blown out, then yes, I could see something happening during the year. They have an interim in waiting in Greg Williams. It's an easy transition. They'd have to make some adjustments on offense. It might be hard to te- keep Dow Loggins as the offensive coordinator, because he is ex- basically an extension of Gase. Maybe they go Jim Bob Cooter, who has experience as a coordinator. We're really getting ahead of ourselves. But to answer about 300 of those questions all at once, I would say that, you know, if it keeps going south, then yeah, I could see something happen in, at some point during the season. So let's get into some other questions. I'm going to try to go rapid fire here, because we've got a lot of ground to cover. At sports underscore fi. 3ND, can you explain how the run defense has uh, regressed so much through the first two games when they have basically everybody back from last year's unit? That's true. 280 yards allowed. I will note that 135 came on two runs in particular against San Francisco. Josh Allen beat him in the first week with the quarterback sneaks, uh, which I don't think they were prepared for. Uh, you know, it is basically the same front seven, front eight, but they don't have Jamal Adams. And I think that's a factor. Next question from at Rex, everything seven. Uh, why isn't Joe Douglas getting more of the blame for this team's woes? Joe's made the personnel moves, traded our best player uh, for what likely will be two very late first round picks. Free agent signings haven't worked out. Osemele and Darnold has no help. You also forgot uh, Rex. You know, he lets Robbie Anderson go for uh, two years, uh, $20 million, which is not an outrageous contract. You saw how the receiving situation is working out right now. Robbie's off to a great start in Carolina. Uh, yes, I think Joe De- Douglas deserves more blame for what's happening right now. I understand his long-term plan. I agree with it. But that doesn't mean you give up on a season. And right now, the roster he has created is not competitive. Next question from at. Changer Sean at Game Changer Sean. How many times have the Jets run behind their 370 pound left tackle? It doesn't seem like they've tried because that would make too much sense. A little sarcasm from Game Changer. Well, I looked it up, Game Changer, and actually they are running behind Makai Becton. They've run behind the left tackle slash left guard side side of their offensive line 13 times, according to our ESPN stats people, and they've run to the right side, right tackle, right guard, seven times. So they actually are a left-handed running team right now. They're trying to run behind 
Becton. Maybe they're not doing it well, but they are trying. Next one from at Rich Swampy. How long is Bell going to be out? Do you think he's going to get traded? Well, we know he's going to be out until at least week five when he'll be eligible to come off IR. Will he be traded? That was my bold prediction coming into the season. I thought he'd be traded at the deadline, which is after week eight. Uh, could that happen now? The chances of that happening are, are slimming because he's out. Who's going to want to trade for a running back, pay him approximately $4 million for the rest of the year, and you don't know about whether he's healthy or not. So unless he comes back at week five, starts lighting it up, then I find it really hard to believe that they'd be able to move that contract. They'd probably have to eat a lot of money. Uh, next one, at Billy Forza, if Gase gets fired, how do you see it playing out? Well, I touched on a little earlier, you know, they would go with Greg Williams, and then they'd probably have to shuffle the offensive staff a little bit as well. Next one from at Bob D. Mooligan. <clears throat> Would Joe move on from uh, Sam Darnold if we get an, a top two pick and opt for Lawrence or Fields with a refreshed rookie contract? You know, this is becoming the uh, a narrative right now. People in all forms of media are, are, I wrote about it last week, people on TV talking about it. Would the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence um, or Fields for that matter? Uh, look, Joe Douglas really likes Sam Darnold. I think he wants him to be a success but he didn't draft him. And if the Jets have the first pick in the draft, I find it really hard to believe that they would pass on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, because if they have the first pick, they'll have a new coach. And I think if they have the first pick, it means Darnold probably didn't have a great year. So I think they would probably try to trade Sam and draft Trevor Lawrence. Strictly speculation on my part, but that's what I say. Next at Matt Romano 19, <clears throat> besides Allen Robinson, are there any in-season moves that you think Joe Douglas could explore to help them at wide receiver? Folks, Allen Robinson is not going to get traded. He's not going to get traded. I think he's going to sign an extension with Chicago, and I don't know of any other good wide receivers who are going to get moved. There are so many injuries in the league right now that I don't think teams are moving good players. The Jets are going to have to make do with what they have. At John Vero 622, is Darnold so damaged that there might be no coming back from it? Hold on. Let's not go that far. I still think he has really good potential. I saw some positive signs this week. I don't think he had a great game against the Niners, but I thought he managed the game better than he did the previous week. He didn't have any bad decisions. Now, he didn't provide much of a spark either, but... I saw some progress, and no, he's not damaged. He's trying to deal with a supporting cast that changes every week. So let's not crush the kid just yet. Let's see how it plays out. Uh, next one from a T, a T Scooter Scootery 27. Why Ogletree over Williams? Great question. Why is Alec Ogletree playing? He he hadn't been on a roster since the spring when the Giants cut him. The Jets pick him up at the you know end of the preseason. He's on the team for a week or two, and all of a sudden he's starting over Avery Williamson. And then you saw him get exposed on the two long runs. I, I think Greg Williams just has a thing with Avery Williamson. I just don't think there's a lot of love there. Williamson should be playing. I would expect his role to be bigger this week. Uh, at co Conorm MC21, why does Gase return, not use two tight ends? 
and you're right. I mean, I've written about this. I've talked about this. Gase is not a big believer in the use of tight ends. The stats show it. Through first two weeks of the season, only seven catches. That ranks 21st in the league. Got to use the tight ends more. Although, let's face it, Chris Herndon not exactly giving him a lot of reason to make him a bigger part of the game plan. Next, from Adam M underscore 2181. Why won't go Gase call plays that accentuate Sam's strengths? Look at, uh, J- look at McDermott and Josh Allen in Buffalo. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I want to see more moving pocket. I want to see him roll out on some bootlegs. Now, from what I understand, they had more of those plays in the game plan against San Francisco. However, we did not see them. Uh, to me, you're, you're restricting your quarterback. That's what he does best. You even saw it on the Berrios touchdown. You know, he was throwing, moving to his left, made a great off-balance throw to Berrios for the touchdown. Uh, let him do what he does best. Try some more play action. Take some pressure off the kid. Let him just let him uh, create a little bit. Maybe some designed runs. How about that? Look at Josh Allen. Well, I'm not saying Sam Darnold is a Josh Allen type runner, but something, something to shake it up a little bit. It's the fourth quarter, folks, and I can promise you this will be better than the recent fourth quarters by the Jets. I can tell you that much. So you've been hearing a lot of stuff from the Jets, a lot of it from Adam Gase, some of it from the players, some excuse-making, you know, if we had only blocked this guy, it would be a touchdown. You know, this was a well-designed play, yada, yada, yada. Well, let me tell you a story. And this story comes from Bill Parcells, and I think it applies to the current situation. I hope you enjoy it. So when Parcells was coaching the Jets, he told me this. In his first coaching job, It was at a college in Nebraska, an NAIA school called Hastings College. He was 23 years old. He was a defensive coordinator, and they had a big rivalry game. A team he was playing loved to use the bootleg at the goal line. So they practiced it. They repped it all week, Parcells did, as the defensive coach. So they get in the game. They're looking for the bootleg, but what happens? One of his players gets out of position, and the other team scores. Parcells goes off on the kid on the sideline, yelling at him. You know, the coach at the time, the head coach, is a guy named Dean Pryor. He calls Parcells over, and he starts lighting in to Parcells in front of the entire team. And he says, leave the guy alone. And Parcells says, but coach, we worked on that damn play all week. And then Dean Pryor said something to Parcells that stuck with him his entire Hall of Fame coaching career. He goes, well, you didn't work on it enough because they scored. Parcells was stunned. And I actually talked to Dean Pryor about this about 20 years ago. And he said he had never seen Parcells react that way. He said his jaw dropped. Parcells called it a life lesson. He learned the lesson of responsibility, coaching responsibility. No one wants to hear how much you practice something, how great it looked in practice on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. They want to see the result on Sunday. It's a zero-sum business, the NFL is. So no one wants to hear the excuses. They just want to see the results. And the Jets have not been giving anyone, anyone, results. Thanks for tuning in this week. I really appreciate having our guest, uh, Cynthia Freeland. That was great, Cynthia. Uh, Also, a shout-out to my producer, Jeff Scopin. 
Please listen to Flight Deck and subscribe. You can find it on any of the ESPN platforms and, of course, on Apple, Google Play, and Spotify. Hang in there with the Jets. We'll be back next week on Flight Deck.